Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Designing Growth. Sam Chalbowski here, co-founder of Motion.io and host of this podcast. Very excited to be back with you again today for another great episode. Today, I'm joined by Chris Beal, who is the CEO of Connect and Sell. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Here with you. Couldn't be better. Amazing. Amazing. And where are you joining us from today? I'm actually joining you from the shores of Puget Sound in West Seattle. It's a beautiful area out there, especially this time of year. I've been out a couple times in Seattle, but I was out specifically around this time, I think about three or four years ago. And it is awesome, man. Stuff is like blooming and everybody is out and about. It was uh, really cool. We actually did some surfing in like full wetsuits way up north. Oh, I can imagine where that'd be. We actually have a house also over in Port Townsend on Discovery Bay. No surfing in Discovery Bay. It's protected by this island called Protection Island. But I bet if you go a little ways west of that, off toward the Pacific Ocean, where it comes roaring in, there's got to be some good surf over there. So I'm not a big surfer. And I'll tell you what, it was scary. The waves out there are like hitting you from all angles. And oof, man, I was in for a rough ride as a very novice surfer, but uh, absolutely beautiful either way. It's lovely country. And uh, yeah, we come up here from Southern Arizona. We hang out down there in the depth of winter because here it's a little bit dark. And then we just got back here last week and enjoying the living daylights out of it. You know, the big issue here right now is actually the sun because uh, this particular place faces west. And when you get the sun coming in around 637 in the evening, it's at eyeball level and it's reflecting off the water. You don't have one sun. You've got like 50 suns. We've been working on installing a shade of all things here in Seattle to keep ourselves from getting fried. I imagine that makes the already notorious Seattle traffic even a little bit worse when that sun like is coming up during rush hour. Oh, I'm sure it is. I don't know. We work out of our house, so I don't get out in that stuff. That stuff scares me. Yeah. I mean, I am exclusively work from home too, for the time being. Maybe we'll get an office in a little bit, but right now it's just me and two other co-founders and we all live within 30 or 40 minutes of each other. But with that, Chris, I would love to get into it a little bit here and kind of if you could just talk about your background and what you're doing at Connect and Sell right now, what that product service does for people and how you decided to build it in the first place. I stumbled into Connect and Sell. This is the only company where I didn't build a product that I, I can remember doing. So I've rebuilt it, but I didn't build it from scratch. A former employee introduced me to the CEO, actually introduced me to the company. And I think the phrase I used was, do you know what the phrase wholly uninterested means? <laughs> and he pivoted quickly and got me to meet with the CEO at the time, Sean McLaren. And I joined the company five minutes after meeting Sean. I just jumped right in. He did ask me, what if I'm not hiring? And I said, hey, it's America. It's a free country. I can work for whomever I want. You can choose to pay me or not. So, you know, my background is actually in tech going way back. A physicist, mathematician type who fell into door-to-door -door sales when I needed a job once, found out I was extraordinarily good at it. Total surprise to me. And I was always interested in business, I had business books around the house growing up. I grew up way out in the desert, north of Scottsdale. No people, just animals and books. The animals taught me one set of lessons and the books taught me another set. I was always interested in business because they were business books in my house. My dad was getting his MBA 
And when this all kind of came together, it's like, well, you got to do something for a living. I decided not to teach high school. I got a job as a programmer, which was the easiest thing in the world to do. And then immediately discovered that my fellow programmers didn't know anything about business, which gave me a huge leg up. So I started spreading out my portfolio a little and software startups have been my life since 83 and uh, just been doing one after another. What a awesome trajectory too. And it's especially cool, I think, for somebody like me. You know, I'm 30 years old. I've been doing this now, you know, just about 10 years and things have changed a lot. And I can't even imagine over the course of your career, how much change and advancement you've seen from the foundations of those early days of computers and the internet to, you know, now we are into artificial intelligence of all things. You were telling me actually right before we hit the record button here that one of your good friends was actually the one who created, I believe it was like the earliest version of an Ethernet cable. Was that yeah. right? Yeah, it was funny. At Xerox Park, they were working on this computer called the Xerox Star. This guy, Doug Engelbart, came up with the mouse, which was made out of wood. I've actually met that guy. He's really something. He's no longer with us. So anyway, my friend Robert Garner was working there, and uh, he had an opportunity to build the networking apparatus for this particular computer. They called it Ethernet. And Bob Metcalf was involved in all of that. Metcalf's law, I think some people know it. That's the value of a network increases with the square of the number of nodes of connections in the network. And he was the boss of that team. And so, you know, my friend Robert just built the first one of those things. I think the speed of it was just because an off-the-shelf component won it 10 megabits a second. So, well, may as well use that. So an international standard was established for Ethernet. I was actually at Martin Marietta at the time all that was going on, and we were installing one of the first big ethernets in the world, uh, being at the leading edge of aerospace. And it was pretty interesting to think of this cable that didn't have any directionality to it. It just acted like radio waves out there, somehow being used to connect computers at high speed. If you think about it, it sounds impossible. The technology that they came up with, the math was called collision detect and retry, which is you wanna say something to another computer on the network, just start talking. If you hear something while you're talking, there must be a collision. Stop for a random amount of time and then just start talking again. And that's how Ethernet works. And just to have a friend like that is give me a front row seat to some of the most amazing things. The Sun Microsystems, their Spark computers, their Spark-based computers. He was the architect of that. And you grow up with people like that and you think that stuff's normal. And then you find out later it's actually over on the edge somewhere. Wow. A lot of this too, I think for somebody like me, who's been interested in the, I guess you would call it like lore of Silicon Valley in a lot of ways. So Sun Microsystem was the company that almost bought Apple that I know you mentioned in there. And then Metcalf's law is something that I've heard a lot of times closely related to, or like it'll be mentioned in the same discussion as Moore's law, mm -hmm. Moore's law, that law that, you know, the number of transistors you can fit in a space will double every two years. I've heard Metcalf's law spoken about in close proximity to basically explain how this can all functionally work. And to hear you name drop some of these things is so cool for me, like absolutely fascinating. It's always interesting because these are real people. And when you get to know them, they're just like regular people who happen to be a little more intentional about something than the rest of us. I think that's what's different 
about the folks who founded Sun, Scott McNeely and that group and Bill Joy. I mean, getting to meet Bill Joy is one of the most amazing things of my life. Just a long lunch with lots of napkins and lots of pictures on napkins. At the end of the lunch, it's like, God, I just got to spend an hour and a half with Bill Joy. What was that like? That's still going on. We still have people who are coming up with amazing new stuff. Look at right now, what's going on with this chat GPT thing? I don't think any of us really understand it. So anyway, I, I think that it's it's always been an interesting industry. I feel lucky that I got into it, although I did choose it deliberately because I thought there's no end to what we're going to do with software and hardware. I always thought the hardware would end up settling down, which it's done in certain ways, because you can get small, but it gets harder and harder to get smaller and smaller. But software has the opposite kind of quality. It can get more interesting and more powerful just by connecting to other software. And that's kind of in a way what these this large language model generative AIs do is they connect to a lot of history by reading everything and to a lot of software by these multi-layer neural nets. I've always been a neural net book guy, by the way. I built my first application with a neural net in 1992. So some people would think that's a little odd. It's like, oh, come on, computers couldn't do that back then. But they could. It's just they can do a lot more of it now. What did that functionally do in 1992? Now you have me like fascinated. I want to know all about this. Well, the problem I had at that time was categorizing parts that were found in a parts database. So it doesn't sound like a big problem, but if say you're General Electric and mm -hmm. you want to know, can we reuse a part from a screw, say, or a flange or something from one product in the design of another product. It sounds fairly trivial, but what if you had 10 million part numbers and all you have is some text descriptions that were put in different times by different folks. So I built a neural net using a product called BrainMaker and its purpose was to try to categorize parts based on their text descriptions. I ended up building a more of a tournament kind of approach to solving that problem. But what I found was it was clear that it was going to take a lot wider neural network. It's the kind of thing ChatGPT does now rather casually. You could give it a whole bunch of parts and say, categorize these. And it would go, okay, you have so many of these, so many of these, so many of these, and so many of these. It would do a really good job. But this is 1992 we're talking about. An interesting discussion that I actually saw online just like the other night where a startup founder was asking on this forum, he said, what do you all think of these applications, these SaaS products, all of these tools that are being released in sort of like rapid fire that are built specifically on OpenAI's model? And there was a huge discussion about what will be the most valuable products from where we are now through the development of AI and through this massive period of growth and progress we're seeing with it, the leading comment on the thread are going to be the ones that integrate with AI, but were not built for AI. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting take because I think if the product becomes so focused on someone else's technology and using that technology just for the sake of shipping something, I think that you miss a big part of product development because if you build a product basically before AI and you integrate with it, or you at least take that approach, it seems like it's going to be better suited for your users and it's going to stand the test of time. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there always is this sort of explosion of activity whenever we come up with some new way of building something. And I actually think that's the heart of what you were bringing up, which is if you don't work backward from a problem that's worth solving, you're not going to last very long at all with anything. It's got to be a real problem. You know, I always do this thing. I, will, I go to the whiteboard and draw a circle and say, okay, here's what we're going to build. And I draw an arrow coming out of the right side of the circle. It's just a simple arrow. It says, this is what it's going to produce. It's going to produce one thing. And then there's a little stick figure that says, who's going to consume that thing? And then there's a little dollar sign that says, and every time they consume one unit of this, how much money do they save or how much money do they make? If you start there, it's really easy. Then most problems you find are not worth solving. And so you don't bother to solve them because it turns out the commodity, you know, one way or another, whether fiat currency or crypto, that tells you whether you're doing something worthwhile is, will somebody pay for it directly or indirectly? And so I think it's pretty simple to look at these new technologies or the, these old technologies that are now more ubiquitous or easier to access, like OpenAI's technology, and ask the same question. What's the circle? What's the thing that it produces? Who's the little stick figure? And how many dollars are saved or gained every time one unit comes out? Now, I think, by the way, this speaks to the current AI situation and suggests the most interesting products at first that folks will pay for are going to be decision support products. So Hitesh Shah, who's our CTO, texted me today and said, hey, I'm taking my boys to Hawaii today. I said, fantastic. His kids are college age and doing fantastically wonderful. And he just said, you're know, going to Hawaii today. I don't know when he decided to do it. And I said, well, what adventures will you go on? What do you think I got back? His prompt to chat GPT asking what to do in seven days on uh, the island of Honolulu. It was beautiful. That's decision support. Think about how long it would have taken this very, very busy senior technology executive to go through and do the research to put together a trip that's one-tenth as good as what ChatGPT did in two minutes, right? That's decision support. Who makes money? Well, he saves a bunch because his time is worth whatever. I don't know what it's worth. 5,000 bucks an hour, say. The airlines, the hotels, all these other folks are making money, which is ultimately why Satya Nadella dumped $10 million into open AI. As he said, if we can get a little bit of the most valuable thing that's ever been built, which is search, that's pretty good. And we start from a small base here at Microsoft, so we can only go up, right? I had a customer the other day say, hey, we want to talk to the CEOs of all the companies in America, the small, medium-sized businesses that are using EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, that's been made popular in the book Traction. Well, how would you find those folks? There's no database out there that I know of. There might be one, but I don't know what it is. So while he was saying that to me, I just went to ChatGPT and asked it the question. And it surprised me by saying, well, here's some companies. And I thought, oh, that's not in the right format. Please format his first name, last name, you know, whatever. It gave me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CEOs of companies that might, hundreds and hundreds of CEOs of companies that might be using this operating system to run the company, this, this business framework. And then I could take that. And while I did it manually, we can automate it. And I took it off to one of our databases and said, give me all their phone numbers. And then we drop it into our system at Connect and Sell. We have a system that lets you talk to people. And within four minutes on the clock, I had... 250 CEOs with phone numbers loaded in our system. We could push a button and within two minutes, talk to one of them. That's decision support with a little action kicker at the end.
So there's got to be a lot of decision support out there. Absolutely amazing. So one of the questions I really want to ask you, and even for my own kind of personal knowledge and growth, I'm a younger founder. I've been at Motion now. We've been building this thing and this product for about a year, but I am a first time founder. If you could give me one piece of advice for the next 20 years, what would that be? Don't hire parasites. That's it. The problem with doing something that's valuable is it's a funny math problem with the social element to it. So when you build something, as it starts to succeed, it starts to attract different kinds of people. So some of them are called, you know, on mission, true believers. They want to be part of it. Hire them unless they're really bad people. So there could be bad versions of them, but they're probably good people. So they're on board with the mission. They probably have some skills, hire them, slot them in where the skills are good and make that happen. But the flip will happen. There are people who are highly skilled at something, but they're actually parasites because the company is bigger than them. They're looking to attach themselves to it and get what they can out of it. And that's a problem because when you're doing startups, I compare a startup to like rowing across the Pacific. So, you know, you and your co-founder get in a rowboat, right? And you each take an oar and you're rowing along and you have a belief oh, way over there somewhere is where we want to go. But you had a lot of stuff you have to do, learn how to catch flying fish and, you know, where am I going to get water and all this kind of stuff, right? So at some point you need somebody to be the bailer or the fisher or whatever they happen to be. So you're looking for a skill. It's okay to bring a skilled person on, but it's not okay to bring a skilled person on that sees you and what you've built as a source of value for them to suck out of it. Everybody's got to be doing whatever job needs to be done. And you can tell where the parasites are coming from when they say, no, that's not my job. And say, yeah, we're in a rowboat. We're going across the Pacific. Mary over here is, she's not feeling too good. Somebody else is going to have to pick up an oar. Not my job. That's a parasite. So don't hire the first parasite because if you hire one, they will hire the second parasite. The analogy, I think, really helps me frame that, too, of in a rowboat trying to cross the Pacific, because, you know, if there's a weak link on that team, that could break things and it could really lead to a lot of problems or, you know, and even things like vacations, too. If this person goes on vacation, who steps in to cover them? And if you have somebody who says, I am unwilling to do this, it's not part of my job. I think that that it could become catastrophic. So I think that it's really sage advice. My view is, yeah, with regard to skills. Outsource specific skills that are going to plug into the company at the skills level. Hire the people that you want to go on the hard journey with. So one of the things to avoid is just hiring somebody because of skills. You can always outsource that skill. Always. It might cost you a little bit more, but you can do it. And it keeps you safe. The way you, these things break is everything's unpredictable. Right? You don't know what you're going to have to go through in a startup. I mean, folks have got these models. Oh, I have the technical co-founder. I've got this. I've got this. I go through the Series A, the Series B, the Series C. It all looks great on paper, right? As Mike Tyson, I think, famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the nose. One of my co-founder's favorite sayings, by the way, in just about every other weekly meeting that we have, or our all-hands meeting, he quotes that. <laughs> he has a very good point. Your roadmap is a set of intentions and reality is going to rear its ugly head every day. And that's the fun, because if you aren't doing something that hard, you're not doing something that's safe. It turns out your safety is in doing difficult things that solve real problems. Doing easy things that solve problems isn't safe at all. Then somebody just walks down that path, right? 
bad enough that you're going to walk down the path and show somebody how to do it really bad if it's easy. So you got to love the problems. And now you have the problem, which is, do we work together to solve the problems or do we start to silo out and work for ourselves? You really end up in a, I'll call it a fundamentally lonely position as a company when you're going out to do one of these very difficult things. Your probability of failure is very high. The challenges you're going to face are mostly unknown. How well you stick together is going to determine whether you succeed or fail much more than any one thing that you do. And part of it is, is it fun? If it's not fun working together, it's way too hard. To me, if you're not having fun, you're not taking it seriously enough. I like it. I think that actually will have to be the name of this episode. You know, if you're not surrounded by people you like working with every day, that you can have fun when things are going well, or even if they're just going okay, that team's going to fall apart once things go bad. But if you have those people that you can lean on and you can all support each other and complement each other's skills in a way as well, I think that's, you can't ask for anything more as a team. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and just like lending your time and your expertise. It's been really fun and, you know, incredibly insightful. With that, I wanted to ask you just one final question before we sign off here, which would be if people want to learn more about you, about the things that you're doing, where should they go or what should they check out? I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, although I've been a little absent recently. Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell. My podcast, I actually think, is a good place to go. Corey Frank and I have been doing Market Dominance Guys, 178 episodes. If you are interested in the theory and practice and a cookbook for dominating markets using the human voice and for the good of others, by the way, feel free. And of course, Connect and Sell, the website. I would recommend anybody who's running a business, take us up on our test drive. It's free. So those mm -hmm. are the three places somebody could check it out. Amazing stuff. And we will put links to all of those things in the show notes of this episode. So you can go connect with Chris and then also check out his podcast. With that, everybody, this has been another phenomenal episode of Designing Growth. My name is Sam Chlebowski signing off. Good luck, have fun and go crush it. Hey, everybody, Sam here. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Designing Growth. Just wanted to come on and quickly mention that Designing Growth will be on break next week. I am headed out to the beautiful state of Maine to spend some time with family and give my parents some much requested time with their new grandson. But don't worry, we will be back the following week with a new episode. I also wanted to mention quickly that we have been super hard at work on the Motion.io product the last couple months and would love to have you try it out. If you're a marketing agency, graphic design business, a website developer, any type of business that does creative work with clients, Motion.io's automated client portals make it simple to onboard clients, send forms, share files, and get creative feedback on deliverables. If you're interested in trying it out, head to our website at Motion.io and click the button that you see plastered all over the screen. You can create an account in seconds. We don't even require a credit card, and you can try out Motion.io and see all of the great things it can do to help automate and streamline your process of working with clients. With that, see you in two weeks, everybody. Take care.